be reading from Luke 23, verse 33. Luke 23, verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they had come, there they had crucified him, and the criminals, criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. Good evening, and again, welcome to our worship. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together tonight. It is a dark, gloomy, and rainy evening, but we're grateful to have a beautiful building, one that is warm, that affords us the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at Luke 23, and specifically in our study tonight, we want to look at verses 33 through 43. And I would invite you to turn in your Bibles as we note this particular text together. The subject that we want to consider in our lesson tonight is the three crosses. And in Luke 23, we read of the three crosses on Calvary's hill. And so tonight, I would direct your attention to this passage of Scripture as we give consideration to what Luke records concerning the death of Christ and those who were crucified with him. In Luke 23, as we contemplate this theme, the three crosses, I would remind you that Jesus has already endured the ordeal of a trial. He has stood before Pontius Pilate. He has been scourged, and thus, after having been scourged, mocked, and ridiculed, the Bible tells us that they led him out to be crucified. Matthew informs us that they compelled a man by the name of Simon, of Serene, to bear his cross. And so in verse 23, or rather verse 33 of chapter 23, Luke tells us when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. The first cross that I want you to consider with me tonight is the cross of redemption. And on this cross we have a man dying for sin. Now you know him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Isaiah references him as wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is called the Savior of the world. Now Jesus, having been crucified, is literally giving himself for the sins of the world. There are a lot of ways that men and women can die. As a matter of fact, when you and I look around, we read the newspaper, we watch the news, we see of any number of things that can cause bodily death. But I would submit unto you that one of the most excruciating ways to die would be to suffer crucifixion. 
The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 speaks of the curse of the cross. What about the cross of redemption? And the man who was dying for our sins. The first thing that I would call your attention to would be the travail or injury that Jesus suffered on our behalf. Again, Luke said, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. In Isaiah chapter 53, in a very graphic way, Isaiah foretells of the suffering and death of God's only son. He said he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I would submit unto you that when we think about the travail of the cross, that we see the just dying for the unjust. Jesus Christ was and is just. And we as members of the human family are unjust. Peter said in 1 Peter 3 verse 18 that Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. Not only do we have the just dying for the unjust, but we also see the sinless dying for the sinful. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 21, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ did not sin and thus we are to follow in his steps. The sinless Son of God bore our iniquities on the cross. And so when you see Jesus hanging upon this central cross, you see a man dying for your sins and for mine. We think about the travail or injury that Jesus experienced on the cross, but then also the text informs us of the taunts or insults that Jesus faced. Look, if you would, in verse 34, we find Jesus making a statement of pardon. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then Luke tells us that they gambled for the garments of Jesus. They divided his garments and cast lots. And then the people stood looking on, and even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
Do you really believe that those who stood at the foot of the cross would have believed Jesus had he saved himself from death? We're talking about individuals that had the opportunity to hear firsthand the words of the Son of God. Here were people that had the opportunity to hear Jesus speak the words of life eternal. All of the great miracles that Jesus had performed beginning in Cana of Galilee when he turned water into wine. And then we think about that great miracle recorded by John in chapter 11 when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And here these people are saying he saved others, yet he cannot save himself. If you're the Christ, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Do you really believe they would have put their faith in him had he saved himself? Imagine if you can, the creation taunting the creator. John tells us all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in John chapter 1. So here is the very creator suffering at the hands of his own creation. Why? For our sins. And then also the title or the inscription. Verse 38, the inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. On that central cross, you have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the very one who bore our sins in his body, as Peter said, on the tree, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. But then there is a second cross that we see that was raised on Calvary. Look again at verse 33. And when they had come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals or malefactors or thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. The second cross is the cross of rebellion. And here we have a man who is dying in sin. Jesus bore the cross of redemption, and he was dying for sin. But this man, on this specific cross, is dying in sin. Why was he dying in sin? Well, the text tells us that he was a criminal, if you and I were to note the charges, the inspired writers tell us that he was a criminal, a malefactor, a thief. If you drop down to verse 41, the other thief who was crucified beside our Lord said in the long ago, and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds. This man was being put to death by way of capital punishment for crimes he had committed. Now, I'm not sure about the specifics of the crimes that he had committed, 
But I know one thing. He is paying a terrible price for the choices that he made in life. And we need to understand that there is a correlation in the choices that we make in this life and the consequences that ultimately will ensue. Think for a moment about this particular individual. Nothing is really said about this man's life or the other thief's life for that matter. And yet here were two men being put to death as common criminals for crimes they had committed. I think about the charges that were leveled against him and then the consequences. The consequences, physical death. There's a passage found in the book of Proverbs in chapter 13, verse 15. If you do not have it underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so. There Solomon said in the long ago, the way of the transgressor is hard. When you choose a life of sin, you are choosing a road that will ultimately lead to misery and ruin. I think about individuals that have made the choice to live a life of sin. Maybe they've not committed some type of crime. Maybe they're not a thief, a malefactor, but they have chosen to live in sin. Solomon said the way of the transgressor is hard. You're choosing a life that is going to afford you anything but peace and serenity. Did you know that sin turns dreams into destruction? Sin literally turns happiness into heartache. It turns promises into pain, blessings into burdens. Nothing is said about this man's family. And yet... It's obvious that he was the son of somebody's family. Whether you're young or old, the things that you do in this life will impact other people. Children sometimes make poor choices in life. They may have the idea and they may express the sentiments that their actions have not hurt anyone else. They may even say, well, the only person that I, that I have hurt is myself. That's not true. Our actions will ultimately reach out and touch the lives of other people. Is it not the case that parents have been pained by the terrible actions of their children from time to time or even grandchildren? that brothers and sisters have been hurt by the actions of their siblings, that husbands and wives have been hurt by one another's actions. Someone has said, and it is, I think, right on, no man is an island unto himself. And so whatever you choose in this life, whatever choices you make, there will be consequences. Now, those consequences may be positive and negative, but listen to what Paul said in Galatians 6. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, sometimes people have the idea that they can just do whatever they want to do. 
They can live however they want to live. They can say whatever they want to say. And there will be no consequences. Listen to what Paul said. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You may think you're getting away with something, but you're not getting away with anything in the eyes of God. Paul said, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So as I said a moment ago, there is a correlation between our choices in this life and the consequences that follow. Read sometime Luke 15 as Jesus narrates the parable of the prodigal son. The young son asked for his inheritance before the death of his father. The text tells us that the father granted his request and that son went out into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, I really believe that individuals who choose a life of sin, what they see are bright lights. They see the glitter and the gold and all of the things that in their mind's eye are going to bring them happiness. Do you not think that the prodigal son, when he went out into that far country, dreamed of hitting it big? of really enjoying himself, of, of tasting of the, of the luxuries of life. And yet the Bible tells us that when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want, down on his luck. That's what sin does. And so here is a man dying in sin. Now, you know, it's bad enough to experience capital punishment. But there is something far worse than capital punishment. It is called separation from God in eternity. Someone has said in the long ago, there is a payday coming someday. Paul said it like this. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6, verse 23. Here was a man dying in sin. He was dying outside of all of the blessings of Jehovah God. Now, you know, I can think about a lot of ways that I do not want to die. I would not want to die by fire. That's just one way that I would choose not to die if I had my choice in the matter. I would not want to drown in water. But there is something far worse than any physical death we may ever experience. It is called eternal death. John calls it the second death in Revelation chapter 20 at verse 15. The second death is Gehenna, the hell of fire. It is described as a place of fire and brimstone. And those who are in that place suffer day and night, as John said, forever and ever 
and ever and ever. It is unending. So the cross of rebellion. Individuals may have the idea that they'll live as a rebel. It may be glorified in Hollywood, and there may be any number of individuals that have the idea that there's something magical about living a rebellious life. Well, this man found out that there's nothing glorious about it. But ultimately, it ends in death. The third cross that we read about, the cross of repentance. And on this cross, we have a man dying to sin. On that central cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the cross of redemption, the man who is dying for sin. Another cross, the cross of rebellion, a man dying in sin. But on that third cross, the cross of repentance, a man dying to sin. Note if you would, verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong or nothing amiss. Here's a man who is experiencing some changes in life. His heart is now softening. He rebukes the other thief or criminal or malefactor. He realizes that they're being punished, that they're suffering death on the cross for crimes they have committed. Quite a contrast from our world today when people do not want to own up to their sinful activities, to their misconduct and misdeeds. This particular individual recognized that the sentence that had been meted out was just and fair. And in contrast to their wicked lives, he could point to Jesus and say, this man has done nothing amiss. So we think of his rebuke, his realization he understood he was in the wrong. But note, if you would, his request. In verse 42, he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. That's quite a statement. To think that these men hanging upon these crosses are all dying. One cross, the cross of redemption, a man dying for sin. The second cross, the cross of rebellion, a man dying in sin. But here is the cross of repentance, a man dying to sin. He recognizes that Jesus is the king 
And so he says, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Note, if you would, what Jesus says in verse 43. The Lord promises a reward. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus knew that it would not be long before they would physically die upon these crosses. And yet he assures this man that he would be with him in that Hadean realm known as paradise. It's called Abraham's bosom in Luke 16. It is the abode of the righteous. Jesus here speaks words of comfort and assurance to a man that is about to experience physical death. Now I know that there are many people in the religious world today that in their objections to New Testament baptism will often cite the thief on the cross. And the rebuttal is typical of those in denominationalism because they do not believe that baptism is essential to salvation. And so I think that it would merit a couple of comments along these lines. When we talk about the thief on the cross, there are some things that we need to keep in mind. It is true that this man demonstrates repentance, that he's willing to die to the love and the practice of sin. But what about the issue of baptism? Is it imperative that people today be baptized into Christ in order to be saved? Well, let me just suggest that first of all, when you look at the thief on the cross, one thing to remember is that he may very well have been baptized. Because in Matthew chapter 3, we read of John the baptizer, and it is said that those in Jerusalem and Judea went out and were baptized of him in the river Jordan. John preached a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins in Mark chapter 1. It may very well be the case that this man submitted to the baptism of John. We just don't know. But there is a second thing to remember, and that is that we're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hanging upon that central cross. In Mark chapter 2 at verse 10, the Bible says that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus had the power, the authority, to forgive sins. No one has that power today. So Jesus had the power, the authority, to forgive the thief on the cross of his sins. So that's the second thing to remember. But then there is a third, I believe, thing that we need to take into consideration as we contemplate the thief on the cross. And that is, Jesus Christ died under what covenant? 
He died under the law of Moses. The new covenant, as you and I know it, had not been enacted. Jesus, after his resurrection, said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Mark 16, 15, and 16. On Pentecost Day, when Peter preached the first gospel sermon, those who were pricked in their hearts cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We're talking about a difference in covenants. When Christ died, the old covenant was blotted out of the way. It was taken out of the way, according to Paul in Colossians 2, verse 14. Christ today is the mediator of a new covenant, of a new testament, according to Hebrews 9, verses 15 through 17. And so this man died under the Mosaic dispensation. He died under the law. He did not have to be baptized as you and I have to be baptized today. Now, we're baptized today because we want to enjoy or experience the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38, because we want to be saved, Mark 16, 16, because we understand that baptism washes away our sins, Acts 22, 16. New Testament baptism is Christ-centered. It is cross-centered. And so, to those who would object to the importance of New Testament baptism, citing the thief on the cross, I believe they need to go back and reevaluate the New Testament and note what our Lord had to say about the subject. Three crosses, the cross of redemption, the cross of rebellion, and the cross of repentance. Tonight, you may be like one of the thieves. It may be that as we speak, you are living a life of rebellion. That you, like that thief, would hang upon that cross. On the other hand, it might be that because of your attitude, your desire to do what's right, to make amends in your life, that you would be like that other thief or criminal. That you would be a person of repentance. You see, one man was dying for sin. That's Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we're going to be saved, we have to be saved by the one who hung on that central cross. But it might be that if you died tonight, you would die in sin. I do not believe that there's any way that I could express to you how terrible that would be. I'm not sure the human language would accommodate just how bad it would be for a person to die 
outside of Christ. You may be living the life of a rebel, and if you died tonight, you would die in your sin. You need to understand the wages of sin is death. I can't offer you any hope. I can't give you any assurances. Sadly, I have spoken at memorial services for individuals that have died outside of Christ. Frankly, there's not a lot I can say by way of hope, hope of heaven. I can't offer words of comfort to the family. We can pray together. We can read the Bible together. I can urge those who are still alive to live for the Lord. But it's a tough task to speak at a memorial service for somebody who has died in their sins. But then on the other hand, it might be the case that you're here tonight and you're willing to be like that thief who, who died to sin. The beauty of that is you're willing to make some changes in your life. You're willing to come to Christ, the one who has the words of eternal life. What would you need to do to become a child of God? Well, as we say every week, you have to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, he that believeth. That is a prerequisite to becoming a member of the kingdom of God. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. So you have to believe in Jesus. Repent of every sin, confess his name before others, and be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, if you're not a member of the Lord's church, would you be willing to die to the love and the practice of sin? If you've never been baptized, would you be willing to do that this very hour? And in so doing, claim the statement made by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, when he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you're unfaithful, could we pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?